Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we have a lot to talk about, so we're just going to jump straight into it. Auburn basketball has had a very eventful week, and we have an extremely eventful week ahead of us. Uh, The big news today, this is filmed on Monday the 17th. So the big news today was Auburn reaching its highest AP poll ranking since 1999. The Tigers are ranked number two in the AP poll behind Gonzaga. A little bit bit of an outrage from a lot of different people wanting to be one. But, you know, number two is still, you know, nothing to scoff at, but still puts a chip on the team's shoulder. They weren't ranked number one. But, Wheeler, what were your kind of initial thoughts going into this week or really going into today? Where did you think Auburn would land? Where did you really expect us to land? And where was the uh, where was the surprise? Were you surprised that we were at number two? Were you surprised that we were, you know, as high as we were? Just kind of what were you thinking going into seeing the ranking for the first time today? I was not surprised that we were number two. Um, And I think that's sad that I wasn't surprised that we were number two. But I just thought with the way that Bruce gets treated by the media and outside college basketball people, for the most part, I will say the guys at ESPN that actually know Bruce, that, you know, worked with him during his show calls, I feel like they're much more reasonable about the fact that the NCAA trouble that he had was basically lying about his barbecue and then his assistant coach going and paying people to come to Auburn. So I think that those kind of people, basically people that really pay attention to basketball, other than Jeff Goodman and Pat Forty, uh, don't mind Bruce. You know, that I mean, they don't think that he's some criminal and is the worst college basketball coach to ever walk the face of the planet. However, that narrative is definitely out there. Uh, me and you went to the Ole Miss game, uh, basketball game this weekend. The guy we were sitting next to was an absolute idiot and kept yelling that Bruce was a criminal and he couldn't wait for Auburn to get a postseason ban this year when the NCAA ruled on their case. And finally, somebody <clears throat> looked back at him and was like, bro, read the news. They've already done the done the NCAA thing. And Mr. Egg Bowl himself uh, – Dude couldn't sit in his chair. He literally was sitting on both armrests. That just gives you an idea of who we're dealing with here. He's got his sketchers on, yelling about how terrible of a coach Bruce is and how Kermit's the goat. I love Kermit. Come on, Kermit. Get them, boys. And every time they'd score, hey, yeah, 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 scoreboard. Man was broken at the end of the game. I didn't hate Ole Miss. I, I really liked their stadium and such, but. Man, that guy was annoying. Anyway, there are a lot of people like that guy. Pat Forty, Jeff Goodman. They they just hate Bruce. The two guys that voted for Auburn. First of all, we've got the guy 
who last week had Auburn at eight and then voted them up to nine. All right, so you go on the road and you win back-to-back SEC road games and you drop down. You covered in both, too. That's the important thing. It's not like you were playing below your expectation. You covered both games on the road in the SEC. So, clearly, that guy, Kansas beat writer, he's, I'm sure, some Naismith, you know, disciple who thinks that we should still have peach baskets hanging up in the rafters and that Kansas basketball is God's gift to basketball. And the fact that Walker Kessler transferred from the North Carolina, you know, to Auburn is just an absolute travesty and terrible for the game. So you got those two guys. And I think it's ridiculous that there are people who are voting in the AP poll that are so biased that they're not. I mean, if there are two guys that don't vote Auburn or Gonzaga, one or two, they clearly have a problem with them because everybody else in the AP poll voted either Auburn one or two. Okay, so we're going to get off the soapbox. Those two guys that voted Auburn number six and number nine in the country are never going to vote Auburn number one. They could literally win out the rest of the season and they would find something wrong with this team. So that's not the guys you got to convince. The people you have to convince are the people that watched this weekend and said, okay, Gonzaga went and hung a 40-point win over unranked BYU, which, can we just say, they're unranked. The net rankings, the, the quad one and quad two wins for Gonzaga are pitiful. They've got a lot of quad one losses. I mean, yeah, they, they hang tough with really good teams, but they have one quad wood win. So they go hang 40 on BYU and play Little Sisters of the Poor and win this Saturday. And these AP people are like, oh, they're so good on offense. Well, yeah, Drew Timmy's an NBA player, and he's literally playing Pepperdine, and I don't even remember who they were playing. It was some school I'd never even heard of. Santa Clara was their Santa Clara. Uh, Saturday matchup. Oh, yeah, Santa Clara. I'm sure they're great because I think I heard that they had a 36-game losing streak against ranked teams. You know who the only ranked team Santa Clara plays is Gonzaga. So they've lost to Gonzaga every year for the past 36 years. So, yeah, not a huge win. Auburn goes on the road. Now, granted, Ole Miss, I mean, they're not great, Uh, especially when their guy got hurt. But still, SEC team on the road much tougher than Santa Clara at home. BYU, I'd say they're about on the same level as Ole Miss. And granted, Gonzaga did beat them big, not by 10 points. The game was never in doubt. Still, I think it's ridiculous uh, that Gonzaga basically got the name on the front of their jersey. They were already number one this year, and then they lost a couple games. Only common opponent you see is Alabama, and we all know what happened to Gonzaga when they played Alabama and to Auburn when they played Alabama. So, At the end of the day, me and you were talking about after the game against Ole Miss that at some point this team probably needs a loss to basically get a fire under them at tournament time. And I think that even though they didn't lose either of the games this weekend, that Georgia game could have been a trap game. But when you take these guys that very much care what people think, You know, I mean, you see the way that they go and talk to the fans. They talk to the other team's bench. And it's not always a bad thing to care what other people think. If that fuels you and you're able to work harder, get up for your breakfast club, shoot around, you know, go make that extra rebound, get that block. That's great. 
And I, I think that's going to happen this week. I, I expect Auburn to come out with their hair on fire in both games. And I don't know that we would have seen that in the Georgia game, other than the fact that almost our entire team is from Georgia. But it's still really hard to get up for a bad team. And I think Bruce can pitch this as Gonzaga gets up for a bad team. I mean, they went and played Santa Clara and they took care of business. They made them look like they were Santa Clara. You got to go make Georgia look like they've won five games. We need to stomp them because that's what Auburn's been missing. There hasn't been just an absolute beatdown of any team since, I mean, way back in December. But even Louisiana Monroe lose to LSU by like 70. We talk on the podcast about how terrible they are, and Auburn's trailing at halftime. So Auburn's won. We've only lost the one game, but there hasn't been that domination factor, which are style points and shouldn't be part of the part of the equation, in my opinion, if you're playing good teams. Doesn't matter how you win if you're playing good teams. But they do they need to get to number one, they're gonna need some style points. So I look for Bruce to try and run the score up on Georgia this week. Hopefully we're in that position to do it. Um, and yeah, I think that's what the voters need. If Auburn beats Georgia soundly and beats Kentucky in any kind of manner, I would hope that the AP voters would remedy this situation, even though Gonzaga is not going to lose this week. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, and I think the big thing is, you know, it, if, you know, Jesse Newell and John Wilner were the guys that put Auburn nine and six, respectively. So if one of those guys puts Auburn top four, then Auburn would have been number one. And I think that beating a Kentucky team at home as hot as they are, I think that that would be what we need to get to the number one spot. I, I feel fairly confident that if we, if we go 2-0 and know this week, that we will be the number one team in the country. But at the end of the day, it's nice you want it just because it'll be the first time in program history. At the end of the day, you know, Wendell Green said it today. He said, only thing that matters is being number one come April. And that's true, you know? So it's like, at the end of the day, you want to be ranked high, but if you're not, you still got to play basketball. Gonzaga still has to play basketball. There's probably still going to be another number one team, you know? So at the end of the day, it doesn't make that much of a difference in how Auburn will approach, except it can motivate our guys that, especially this team that we have, that they're going to get pissed off that, you know, so many people don't think they're the best team in the country and they want to prove them wrong. And, you know, we, we said some things, you know, like Bo Nix cared a lot about what everyone thought of them. And this team does too. And the thing is that, that it's a risky game. But also you look at Steph Curry. Steph Curry has gone on record multiple times and says when he's having a bad, when he has a bad first half, he checks his Twitter mentions at halftime and gets pissed off by everyone saying how bad he is, comes out and lights it up in the second half. Some guys get really mad when people don't think they're that good. KD Johnson, if you don't tell him that he should be the number one overall pick, he's going to be angry. Jabari Smith, he's going to get angry if you doubt him. You know, all of our guys are going to get really mad if they're doubted. So this team, I think, is going to have an ultra focus, and I think this team will be more focused than they would have been had they been given the number one ranking in, uh, in this poll. So I think that's kind of just a good, you know, could be a blessing in disguise. The team could be have a chip on their shoulder, go into that Kentucky game, and kind of, you know, what you were saying, get the style points against Georgia, get a win against Kentucky. This could be a good thing for Auburn basketball. Now, And I will say, I don't think that we are the best team in college basketball right now. I think that the way that 
the season has unfolded, we should be ranked number one as part of the game. But if you did power rankings, I don't know that Auburn is the best basketball team in the country right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that – so in my opinion, I think that come March, Duke will be one of the scariest teams in the country. Now, if you're going to – you can't rank Duke in the top three right because of their resume. You can't put them there. If you look at everybody in college basketball's resume, Auburn has the most impressive resume. So if you're going by that, Auburn should be number one. You can go by the eye test or whatever, but at the end of the day, the eye test isn't what the ranking should be. Like, you're supposed to look at their resume and the whole quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four wins, that all ties into rankings. So you can debate all day whether you think Gonzaga or Auburn's better, but at the end of the day, you can't argue that Gonzaga's resume is better than Auburn's, and you can't argue that Baylor's resume and UCLA's and USC, you can't argue that all these people's resumes are better than Auburn. And I think that's what a lot of the uproar is. You know, some Auburn fans are just mad because they think, you know, they're excited about Auburn. They want Auburn to be number one. They think we're the best team in the country, and we very well might be. But the thing is, the facts of the matter are, we have the best resume in college basketball, and we should be ranked number one. But it is what it is. So. I think that can kind of that kind of wraps up our our poll talk. But let's 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 talk a little bit about actual Auburn basketball. So we had a big week this week, two road games, and honestly, you know, two two games where the fans traveled really well, and it really minimized the actual road environment. But the thing is, you know, come March, people aren't going to be like, oh yeah, well Auburn fan Auburn had as many fans in that old Miss arena as Ole Miss did or Auburn fans had 40% of Coleman Coliseum, you know, that doesn't matter. And it goes into the, the quadrant, depending on if it's away, whether you have a lot of fans there or not. So it really does help, you know, the, all, of the, all of the traveling, more so than just helping our guys that they can hear their fans, but it's also taking seats away from the other team's fans. So, but so Auburn played Alabama on Tuesday and Ole Miss on Saturday. So we either just kind of walk us through where you were on that Tuesday going into the game, throughout the game, at the end. Where were you feeling, you know, for the most part of the game? How were you feeling when they went on that 14-0 run to tie the game? And then, obviously, when Alan Flanagan was icing those free throws, you kind of knew that we were going to win. Just kind of walk us through your thought process throughout the uh, entirety of that game. I think the Alabama game went exactly like we predicted it would go. With, at the end, Auburn making the shots – that were clutch that we weren't sure if they were going to be able to make. We said on the podcast before the game, Walker Kessler is going to go into the game. He's going to pick up a couple quick fouls. That is going to be Alabama's game plan. And they have the athletes to do it. They have the home crowd to do it. It was going to happen. Like, I don't know that Walker Kessler could have done anything in his power other than just not playing defense to not get in foul trouble in that game. Okay, so if me and you who are I would say we're basketball fans, but we're not, obviously, on the level of the coaches at Auburn. The coaches at Auburn knew the exact same thing. Okay, they've played in the – I mean, Bruce has been in every SEC arena in the country. He's gotten teed up for yelling at the refs. He knew who the refs were going to be. He knew what was going to happen. And you know what happened when Walker got into foul trouble? Bruce and the staff did not panic one bit. They knew it was going to happen. They hoped it wouldn't. I'm sure they had a game plan for if Walker's not in foul trouble by some miracle, we'll run this offense. But they were ready with their small ball lineup, just like we said, putting Jalen Williams in, putting Dylan Cardwell in. And I guarantee you, 
that those guys were more mentally locked in for the Alabama game than a lot of other games because they had been told before the game, look, Walker's going to get in foul trouble more likely than not. You need to be ready to go. You need to be ready to step up and win this game. And that's exactly what they did. Dylan Cardwell, more than any other player, I think, on Auburn's team on Tuesday night, elevated his game to a level that allowed Auburn to win the game. And that's what I didn't see coming. Because I was concerned that we were going to lose the game because if Dylan played at the level that he's been playing at, which has been consistent, solid basketball, we weren't going to win. Because I knew Alabama would be playing out of their mind. Dylan stepped up, and that is a credit to him. He had the best game of his Auburn career. He was smart with the basketball. He was smart on the defensive end. He was able to block some shots, get great effort rebounds. He had that one one call that went, I mean, it was a terrible call when they called the flagrant on him, and he's clearly going for the ball. He hits the ball. So it's not like he was going for the dude's head. Like, the dude tried to use his head to shield the ball. Dylan went and hit the ball, and just because he's big, he hit the guy's head, gets a flagrant call on him. And you know what? A lot of guys, if they were having the game of their life, and then they get a terrible call on a flagrant one, and they're an energetic, emotional player like Dylan, they fold. But Dylan was able to stay locked in, and he literally, on the next possession, goes down and makes a huge play for Auburn. So I would say Dylan Cardwell is the reason that Auburn was able to beat Alabama. Now, granted, Wendell had a great game, able to come in, hit some threes, some critical threes. Jabari also had the – I think he had the best game of his Auburn career. And I wasn't expecting that either. I don't know why, because Jabari typically does well when the chips are down and Auburn needs a big play, but he really was able to step up and become the scoring threat that we honestly haven't seen since non-con with him. Um, but Alabama, it almost looked like their game plan was let Jabari shoot because we don't think that his shooting percentage is very high, and it came back to bite him. I mean, he was able to get hot. He was able to knock down a bunch of jumpers, a bunch of threes. Had a great game. I thought that the game plan was fantastic out of Bruce because – They game planned for what they thought was going to happen. They didn't go in with the stubborn mentality of what we do is we feed Walker on the lobs when we're down, okay? Because that works in a lot of games. That worked in Ole Miss. That's exactly how we got back into the game against Ole Miss. And I think that's the biggest credit because if you're Alabama, you go into the game and you say, we haven't seen Auburn win a game where if they were down, they can't feed Walker Kessler. St. Louis game, same thing. We were down. We couldn't hit any shots. So what do you do? You start running the high ball screen and lobbing it up to Walker because he's 7-1. And if he's on the run, you're most likely not going to block the guy if the lob is good. Wendell has shown that he's great at throwing those lobs because you're either going to go off of him to go guard Walker and he has an easy finish that he's great at finishing at the rack or you're going to all converge on him and he's just going to dump it off for an easy dunk. So they took away the easy points, and they made Auburn work for it, and Auburn worked for it and got it. It was a great game, great step up, huge learning, maturity thing. Um, They let it slip a little bit. I think that if that game's in Auburn Arena, they win by 20-plus because they're able to keep their foot on the gas. Um, Tough that they let them back into the game, but also credit to Allen Flanagan hitting four massive free throws. Guy has struggled a little bit with his confidence of his three-point shot, but, I mean, hey, at the free-throw line when the game mattered against your rival, Guy Jr. goes up there and just knocks him down like clockwork, just like you're supposed to. So 
very impressive game by Auburn, um, despite the fact that Alabama executed their game plan perfectly. And I think that's what I was most excited about out of these two wins was Ole Miss and Alabama both executed their game plan perfectly. Now, you can say, well, Ole Miss obviously would like to hit more more shots in the second half. With the talent that they have, the fact that they were shooting 50% from three-point in the first half and shooting like, I don't even know, it was something ridiculous from the field in the first half. They played the best game they could have. They were perfect from the free throw line. They did everything that if Kermit Davis wrote up on a big board, here's what we have to do. They did everything. They, I'm sure they were trying to get Walker Kessler into foul trouble too, but they don't have the athletes to do that as much. You know, if Walker was playing not smart basketball, they probably could have got, gotten him on a couple cheap ones. But, I mean, at some point, the guy is really good. You know, that's what makes somebody good, is that they're athletic enough to avoid foul trouble against decent to above average teams. Alabama executed their game plan perfectly. Now, do they want uh, Quinterly to probably take that three at the end of the game? Yeah, they probably do. Am I really glad that he didn't take that three? Absolutely. But the thing was, both teams had above what their normal games are, almost to the level of their best games. Alabama, not as much their best game of the season. But a pretty a very solid performance out of Alabama. And Ole Miss's best game of the season. And Auburn was able to win both games. I thought it was incredibly impressive, both wins. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think especially when you look at that Alabama game, we did something that is a little a little less. We, we haven't really done this all season, and we really don't do this at all. But when Bruce has his superstar, something one of the reasons why Isaac and Jabari will both – Isaac was drafted very high and Jabari will also be drafted very high is because Bruce doesn't force-feed them. He, they are inside the flow of the offense like they will be in the NBA. So a lot of the time in college, you see guys that are NBA players and they just – their teams just give them the ball and let them do whatever because they're better than everybody else. It's not a terrible game plan, but a lot of the time, you know, the NBA kind – the NBA really likes that Jabari is in the flow of Auburn's offense. And so you look at that, Jabari was much more of a focal point against Alabama than he really has been in most of the games this season. And that's why, obviously – scored 25 points but you also look at it and on the other hand when we were down and you know or not when we were down but when we were losing the lead and Alabama was on a run the only complaints I had about Bruce in that game were that he didn't just give Jabari the ball in that moment so that he could hit you know kind of a momentum killing shot because that's kind of his specialty or that he didn't call a timeout and, and I think that that's kind of the thing when, when you're on the road and you have a 14 point lead and a team goes on an 8-0 run, I think it's smart to call a timeout and kind of calm your guys down, let them play. Bruce doesn't like calling timeouts when the other team's in a run. He just doesn't. He's never liked it. He likes his guys to play it out, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Obviously, against against Alabama, it really didn't work. I mean, Alabama was on a 14-0 run, and then the media timeout comes. Our guys calm down. Our guys come out and play better. So I think that's something where it's like you want to call a timeout. That way you can – preserve your six-point lead, and that's when your guys can kind of come out and be calmer and start playing better. So that was really the only complaint that I had with 
kind of the coaching staff and how they approach it. And obviously it's just different philosophies. They like, I mean, they like when you have talent, they like their talent to play it out. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, you just kind of have to deal with, deal with it. I thought our bench, thought our bench played really well against Alabama, especially defensively. You know, uh, I mean, mainly you look at Jalen Williams and Dylan Cardwell stepping up huge, but also you look at Alabama and, and yes, Al- so Alabama lost the game. So in every Alabama loss or every Alabama game that they have struggled in, there's been a common denominator, and that has been Jaden Shackelford, Javon Quinterly, and Keon Ellis did not play well. So you look at you look at their stat lines against Auburn. Shackelford was four for 14, two of eight from three. That's not a good shooting percentage. We did our we did our job guarding Shackelford. Quinterly, four of 19, two of 10 from three. We did our job guarding Quinterly. Keon Ellis was one of five, one of four from three. Granted, he was seven of eight from the free throw line, so that kind of helped his points a little bit, but we did our, our, our job guarding him. The issue was Darius Miles, Noah Gurley, and J.D. Davison played some of their better games of their careers, and so they were a little bit more consistent and helped Bama off the bench. But the thing is, that's not going to happen. Like, that's not who Alabama is. So you look at it, and you're like, yeah, Shackelford and Quinterly and Ellis didn't play very well, but the thing is, whenever they play teams with good defensive guards, they usually struggle. So it's kind of like you look at you look at that game and you're previewing, you know, the eventual rematch on February 1st and you're like Auburn should just be able to replicate exactly what they did and be able to win convincingly because Auburn has the defensive prowess to be able to stop Shackelford Quinterly and Ellis and then you're just going to challenge their bench to come up in big moments like they did but the thing is when you're on the road it's not as easy to come come in and play as solid as they did at home. So I, I'm really not, you know, beating Alabama on the road, I think was a bigger deal than when they come to Auburn. And obviously it'll be a tough game when they come to Auburn because it's a rivalry game. But winning in Coleman Coliseum was a bigger deal than it will be winning, uh, winning in Auburn, I definitely think. So that was a really good win that you love to see. Also, we you know, we touched on Alan Flanagan a little bit. His, his return has been very strange to me because his defense has still been good. That's why he's starting. His defense has been good. His inside scoring game has been better than we've ever seen. Like, his, his able to create his own shot, go into the paint, floaters, all that, all of those aspects of his game are the best we've seen from Alan Flanagan ever. The issue is his three-point shooting is the worst we've seen. I mean, even... I mean, this, this reminds you of freshman year, Al. And Al, in his freshman year, was terrified to shoot the ball. And that's the thing. And I, I fear that the amount of air balls that Flanagan has had when he shoots it is really starting to wane on him where he can – I mean, he's, he's being a productive player, and that's why he's still starting and he makes his team better. But he's got to get those three-pointers down. And the only way yeah, – it's one thing if you're in a slump and you're just missing a lot. You know, KD Johnson kind of had that. KD was still shooting. He was just missing. And then he's had, you know, two straight games where he started making them and was a little bit better. But with Allen, he's just, he just keeps missing. But the thing is, he's scared to shoot. And against Alabama, you saw one, uh, it was about with, with two or three minutes left. He has an open three that last year he pulls, he takes, no questions asked, and no one really faults him for it because he was open. He wasn't wide open. He wasn't like Quinterly, but he was open. And, you know, against Alabama, he didn't shoot it. Against Ole Miss, he had an open three that he didn't take, and he tried to take a dribble, but the guy that was closing out thought he was going to shoot, 
So Alan ended up having to take a weird step. He ends up traveling and he turns it over. But the thing is, like, I mean, 10 times out of 10, you would rather the guy shoot that because even if he airballs, even if he misses everything, Walker Kessler has a chance to get their offensive rebound and keep the possession alive. If you turn it over, it's over. Other team has the ball. So I really think that Alan Flanagan's ability to shoot the three is going to be the biggest factor in this team's growth. Because honestly, Walker Kessler, Jabari Smith, KD Johnson, Zepp, Wendell, like you've, you've kind of, you've had enough time to see what they can do. You know, like Wendell has played super well over the past few games. You know that he is going to be a consistent scoring option off the bench. You know what KD brings to the table. You know Jabari's the best player. You know Walker's going to get his rebounds. He's going to get his blocks. He's going to get his steals. You know what all these guys are going to do, except for Allen. And Allen is still the wild card. And I think that the the amount of the, the fact that he is getting high minutes is good because he can still play good defense. He can still score. He's not a liability out there by any means. But if he can get his three ball down, it'll just make this team so much more dynamic and so much harder to stop. So I definitely think that that's the biggest thing to be watching going forward. Yeah. It, it's going to be interesting to see. And I think that the Georgia game will be a good game for Allen to try and bounce back in. Um, they're, the thing is, Georgia is still an SEC team. Kentucky only beat Georgia by 15 points. And the game was honestly a little bit closer than that. Uh, I mean, you had Oscar Toshibwe playing 39 minutes against Georgia. So clearly the game was not what Coach Cal thought in hand enough to pull yeah. him other than for one minute of the entire game. So Georgia can pose a threat to Auburn, I, but it's also one of those games where if Al makes a, has a couple of misses, as long as they're close, I feel like you keep that green light and you say, come on, this is a game to get out of your slump. Because this isn't a game where, like at Ole Miss, for most of that game, that was not a time to be in your slump buster mode. When you're down 13 on the road, you don't want your guy in a slump, you know, chunking up a three. That's just not That's not how you win basketball games. He knew that. Bruce knew that. Everybody in the arena knew it. So he wasn't going to throw that up. So hopefully he can get a little bit of confidence going into that Kentucky game. Because if he's able to start knocking down his three ball, that opens up. I don't think a new kind of the offense, but I think what the offense does, it just enhances that so much more. Because, I mean, think about at the Ole Miss game, KD Johnson, he hit some nice threes, but at the same time, there were like three possessions in a row where he missed, I mean, wide open. Like, I think he's covered more by the the ball boy in pregame warm-ups than he was in that. I mean, he's over there spinning the ball like it's a free throw. He's so open, and he's missing those. Now, could it be that he was too wide open and it got in his head? Maybe. But also, you want a little bit more consistent three-point shooter than KD to you know, kind of step up to supplement what Wendell and Zepp have been able to do. I will say Zepp's three-point shot is, has improved, in my opinion. I thought he played some of his better games, uh, not only on the defensive end, where he's been really, really good, but I thought that especially at Ole Miss, he improved his offense a little bit. Yeah, and I, I also think that, you know, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, the way Zepp has been playing is it's kind of not disappointing. I don't want to say disappointing, but 
the the impact that Zep can have in the big games is lower because of you look at Jabari and KD especially kind of elevate their games when they're playing the better teams. And it's good. You want you want to have your guys to elevate it. The issue is the way that Zep approaches the game. And obviously KD is, you know, the way KD plays defense, he doesn't take any possession off or anything like that. But KD shows up in big games, you know, like in our biggest games this season, KD has not been a liability in any sense. Whereas Zep, you look at him and he hasn't been a liability. He just hadn't been on the floor as much. And I think that's because Zep takes his approach to the game so seriously that he is the exact same in every game. Whether you're playing UNA or you're playing, you know, Alabama, Zep is you're going to get the same Zep Jasper. And that's a good thing because it's consistency. And you know what you're going to get. He's going to make a shot. If he's open, he's not going to take stupid shots. He's going to be a good player, but he's just not exactly, you know, a guy that's really on the floor at the end of the big game. And that's fine. But that's something that, you know, it's something that you learn as the season goes on. So I think that Zep is such a, I think that Zep is such a good guy to have, though, for the grind of the conference schedule. And, you know, when, when Jabari's going to have a big game against Alabama and then come back against Ole Miss and be good, he's going to start getting tired in those games. And, you know, while Georgia might not be as much of a trap game as other games could be, but when you play the Mississippi States and the Missouris and the Texas A&Ms, it's like those teams are no slouches and they can beat you if you don't play well. And having a guy like Zepp that is just so calm, cool, and collected and you always know what you're getting from him, it's really good to have that you're not really – it's very rare to see Zep have an off night, whereas other guys, it's much more common because it's common in basketball to have an off night. So I definitely think it's nice to have, you know, Zep kind of coming in. But I think especially, I think it's against Georgia, this could be a trap game. And you know, Bruce talked about this in his press conference today. This would be a trap game had the the AP poll put us at number one. Because then everyone's looking to Kentucky. It's the big game. And then it's like, well, you still have Georgia coming in. But it's like now that, you know, the guys are ranked number two, pretty much everyone on the team is from Georgia. So they're all going to be pissed off that they're not number one. They're going to be pissed off that Georgia is in town. I mean, KD Johnson, I don't think he's mad at Georgia per se. I just don't think – I just think that he's just the kind of guy that since he used to play at Georgia, he is going to want to go off that game. So – I think that I, I'm really not worried about Georgia at all, but the Kentucky game is the kind of the the biggest game of the season, in my opinion. And I think that this will, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit last week, but this Kentucky game I think is the benchmark about where this team is. If you win the game, you can confidently say we are we can hang with anyone in the country. If you lose this game, you know, you kind of start having a little bit more of the doubts, but you know, Kentucky is a complete team, and I think that Auburn's performance against Kentucky will really indicate how high this team can get. If Auburn beats Kentucky on Saturday, then national championship is a expectation, you know? Like, it, it'll almost be like, you can't just expect a national championship, but anything less than Final Four would be underwhelming from the realistic expectations we will set if we went against Kentucky, so... Wheeler, just kind of just kind of talk through what your thought process is for that game, and then uh, when you're done, I'll kind of give a breakdown about how the matchup can go. So I think for one player more than any other player that's going to be on the floor, this is the biggest test for Walker Kessler. 
The reason I think that this is Walker's kind of biggest test is the one loss that Auburn has this year was against UConn. And if you, you know, rewind back, Walker had the worst game of his Auburn career, I would say, against UConn. And it wasn't like the Alabama game where he was in foul trouble. He was just getting worked. Okay? So, since then, Walker's obviously developed. He started throwing up numbers that only Kenny Gabriel had when we were trash, and he was getting garbage time numbers. Okay, so he's become a super elite player. The question that I think everybody has, and something that's going to be important. So, for example, today, uh, for college basketball fans that were watching the standalone game this morning, Illinois is playing Purdue. All right, so even though Illinois... You know, their their five is Coburn, and he he's normally a monster. He's an All-American. He got his fourth foul with 17 minutes left in the second half. Okay, their backup center came in and was balling out. Okay, it was similar to how Dylan was playing against Alabama. Purdue had a massive 7-1 dude that was just built as thick as a dump truck. I mean, dude was also an animal. The teams that are at the top right now in college basketball have elite bigs along with elite guards. That's kind of what separates, I would say, a top 10 team or a top, I'd say a top 15 team from a top 30 team. Anyone in the top 30 could beat someone in the top 15. And I would say fairly, not fairly easily, but like they could, they could have a normal game where they were not playing the game of their life and beat them. Here's the, and that's because of the guard play. But the top 15 teams also have elite bigs. So getting to the Sweet 16, it's not going to matter if Walker is elite against bigs. When you get to the Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, National Championship, you need Walker to be able to compete with bigs that are athletic and physical. Really, the most physical and athletic big that we've played all year was the UConn guy. And Walker did not play well. Now, that was at the beginning of his, you know, college basketball career. I know he's at North Carolina, but it was garbage time. It's different. He has improved significantly, but this, this is a a great big. Also, I don't, it's a great, if he wins this battle, he can beat anybody in a one-on-one down low. Okay, so that's the positive side. If he wins this, there's no one who's going to be any better as a big that he plays the rest of the year. He did get worked against Florida, okay? So that was kind of – but he was not – the guy that he was playing against was not necessarily a physical big. Uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Castleton. Castleton. Castleton is much more of that fadeaway shooter or hit you with a pump fake and go underneath you and score. He didn't really do much to Walker on the offensive end. So we'll, we'll have to see, can Walker defend against Shigway? Can he rebound? And can he still create on offense? Because this is going to be the most complete big he plays. Usually when you see a great rebounder, the guy is probably not very good on offense. And he just gives undeniable effort on the defensive end, and that's why he gets so many rebounds. Shigway is one of the rare guys that... I think playing soccer growing up really helped his footwork where he's able to he's able to get in position to receive the ball down low and he's able to go and get rebounds because I mean he's talked about it how he got into the analytics of all 
of where the ball is being shot as to where the ball is going to go. And that's what he credits all of his rebounds for. But if Walker is able to, I would say, hold his own. I don't even think he needs to win the matchup, but he needs to not be dominated. And I think that the places that it's most important for him to not be dominated are on rebounds. Because traditionally, Auburn, if we give up a lot of offensive, if you give up a ton of offensive rebounds to Kentucky, you can't give Severe Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington a bunch of second chance opportunities. They'll kill you on that. They mm. will absolutely kill you on it. Also, you've got to be able to score a little bit so that they're not just playing out on you. So very intrigued to see how Walker does. I think at other positions, it's really – I think Auburn holds the advantage against Kentucky on an average night-to-night basis at a lot of positions. The point guards, Kentucky has better point guards. Okay. Severe and Ty Ty, they're better than Zepp and Wendell. But I think that's okay. I think that the way that Severe Wheeler has been playing, Auburn didn't get destroyed by him when he was at Georgia. Okay. He, Auburn's been able to manage that. An elite point guard is not going to kill you as bad as an elite big. Because if the guy down low is just killing you on the boards and killing you, scoring i mean you can't do anything about it you know you can't commit another defender without just fouling because you saw what happened when old miss had their big kind of rocking and rolling and you'd have wendell or kd switch off onto them i mean they'd just have to hack him and hope that he was not strong enough to get up and get an and one so the matchup down low that's the one that we're watching for um other than that, I think Auburn has the potential to match up well solely because our offense doesn't come from our point guards when Zepp is on the floor. So this is going to be a big game for Zepp because he's going to have to go and guard the Kentucky point guards. It's more important, I think, in this game to have good defense at the point guard position than for our offense to be created from the point guard position. I think you look for Jabari to have a big game. And, I mean, honestly – this is the first game that I think Auburn needs Allen Flanagan to have a really good game because those are the, I mean, it's hard to say that it's a weak spot when they're the number 12 team in the country, but where Auburn has the advantage and can take advantage of Kentucky with better athletes and better shooters is kind of in that mid range area where Allen and Jabari are going to be playing. Whereas on the extremes, their guards and I think probably they're big is better than Auburn's. And so Auburn's going to have to win that battle in the middle or have one of those positions play above where they've been playing. Yeah, uh, I, I really agree. And I, I think when you look at it, you know, kind of like what you were saying with the, uh, like the big time bigs at the big, at the big schools, you know, if you look at Gonzaga, they got Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren at the, the five and the four. I mean, great players. I mean, if you watched March last year, Drew Timmy, was the best player in March for Gonzaga. And obviously, Chet Holmgren's going to be a top three pick. Arizona, they have a first-round pick playing in their front court. Purdue, that guy that guy for Purdue is listed at 7'3", and he is built. I mean, the guy is like – he's a shorter like young being. Yeah, like yeah. He, is, he is just a massive human being. Uh, Baylor, they have first-round guys in their front court. Duke, they got Mark Williams and Paolo Boncaro, like – you look at these top teams and you're like, dang, like they are front court heavy. And a lot of these teams, you know, like Purdue's not as much front. They have that one guy, but they also have, you know, Jaden Ivey. So it's like you look at it and you're like, a lot of it is front court. 
and also guards. And Auburn, while we might have a different approach to our front court, we still have a good front court. And, you know, Jabari, I'll take Jabari over anybody in the country, truly. I mean, he is, he is an incredible player. So I'm fine with Jabari against whoever he goes against, no matter who, who he goes against. I, I think Jabari will get his. With looking at Walker against Tashibwe, the, the biggest thing, I think, is if you limit offensive rebounds. So Tashibwe, he averages 15, he averages around 16 points and 15 rebounds. You look at him against, so you look at that Tennessee game, and that Tennessee game, Kentucky played, I mean, they, I don't think they'll play a better game this season. If they, play against, if they play against us like they did against Tennessee, we'll probably lose just because college basketball teams don't play like that more than once in a season. I mean, they were, they were absolute. they shot 95% from the free throw line. They shot 61% from three and 68% from the field. And the thing was they were shooting better than that in the first half. I mean, it was, it was unfair. They scored 107 points on a team that allows 60 points a game. Like they were just on a completely different level. If they play like that, you tip your hat and you lose. It's fine. If it, if they play like that, like if I was a Tennessee fan and I was getting on this podcast, I would not be freaking out at all because if a team plays like that, you just accept that you're not going to win that day. But so you look at it, Deshibwe had 12 total rebounds, which was one of the lower results that he's had all season, and that's because they weren't missing. Like so many of his rebounds and his points, honestly, he only had eight or nine points that game. A lot of his points come from him fighting for position, getting the offensive rebound, and getting a quick, a quick putback. So the thing is, if Walker can just control the defensive glass, I think we'll be okay. You know, I don't know if we'll win, but if Tashibway doesn't get a ton of offensive rebounds, I think we'll be okay. Walker's got to get some blocks. That's the thing. Walker cannot get into foul trouble because, you know, as much as we – are talking about Walker and how he just got bullied against Sonogo. You know, uh, Adama Sonogo is 6'9". So you put a guy like Jay Will in there and he can, you know, he, he, can, he can play with them. Tashibwe is really, he's a 6'10", 6'11 kind of guy. And so, and he's just, a, I mean, he's a better rebounder than Sonogo is. Sonogo's just, his main thing is scoring. Tashibwe, a lot of the time, like he has a good post hook, but I mean, most of it, he gets rebounds and then he just bullies people down there. Dylan, the issue with Dylan in a matchup like that is that Dylan's the same kind of player. He's just not as good at doing it. And that's, those are the kind of guys that get beat. You know, if you put Tashibwe against a guy like Cokeburn, it's like, okay, like, they're both big, they're both strong, they're just going to fight down there. Dylan, yeah, he's strong, but he's not as strong as Tashibwe. Tashibwe will bully Dylan Cardwell. And I love Dylan, but, like, it's just not his matchup. So you've got to have Walker play, first of all. He's got to play a lot. And he needs to play well. If we can make Tashibwe a – even if we can make him a 12-12 and 12 guy, a 12-point, 12-rebound day, I will feel very confident about Auburn chances in that game. Now, second, you got to look at Ty Ty Washington playing some of his – I mean, he's playing his best basketball of the season right now, coming off a 28-point performance against Tennessee. You know, the guy's good. I mean, he is the real deal. He can do it all. It is not going to be easy to stop him. And honestly, I would be a little surprised if we put a guard on him because you look at what Auburn did against Shackelford, and, you know, a lot of the time you saw, you know, yeah, you saw KD on him, you saw Wendell on him a little bit, but a lot of the time you saw Allen and Jabari on him because he was their biggest scoring guy. 
and, you know, obviously Kentucky has more balanced scoring than Alabama, so it's not just easy to move guys around. But, you know, I think that if, if it's a big moment, I think we're going to have Allen or Jambari on Ty Ty, even though Ty Ty is only 6'3", because the guy can play. I mean, he is, he is so good. And we really, if we can just neutralize him and neutralize Toshibwe, I think we'll be fine this game. But the issue is they got guys like Davion Mintz off the bench, big shooter. He's torn us up a couple games in the past. Severe Wheeler is just a fantastic facilitator. You got Keon Brooks Jr. I mean, you got so many guys that can just play basketball so well. And, you know, Auburn is not – or K- Kentucky is not as deep as Auburn is. They really only like to play seven guys, really. I mean, there's seven guys. There. It's Oscar Tashiboy, Keon Brooks Jr., Ty Ty Washington, Severe Wheeler, Kellen Grady, Jacob Toppin, and Davion Mintz. I mean, they really like to only play seven guys. as their seven top guys, okay? Auburn likes to play 11. I don't know if Auburn will play 11 against Kentucky. You know, Leor, Leor might not get too many guys. Chris Moore might not get as many guys. Wheeler's saying eight. I think we fit in nine, but I, I think we'll see. But regardless, Auburn is going to play more players than Kentucky. But the issue is, and while Auburn's drop-off isn't that much, Kentucky's drop-off is, I mean, even less. I mean, they really don't drop off from their bench to their starters, except for the, the top guys like Deshiboy in Washington. Obviously, you know, their backup isn't as good as they are. But, you know, Kentucky is such a deep team that everybody really has to step up. And I think that it's in different areas, you know. Like, I don't think we'll need as much offense from Walker. I think that if he does good defensively, I think we'll be okay. Jabari, I think we need him more offensively. You know, like defensively, obviously you need him. Keon Brooks Jr. and Jacob Toppin aren't going to be their main offense. Like, if they beat us with those guys, you you don't like it, but you can you can get over it. Jabari needs to have a big offensive night. Allen needs to do both. Allen really, he needs to limit. I think his matchup a lot of the time is going to be Davion Mintz. I think he's going to be on him a lot. If he can make Mintz not just catch fire from three and kind of neutralize him in the offense and still get some points, I think Allen is the biggest key, just being a 3-and-D type player. I think that Allen is a really big name to watch. KD, obviously, I think is the biggest because Ty Ty Washington's main kind of the, – the biggest slight that NBA scouts have on him is his defense. His defense is good, but it's not great. KD is the biggest key in the sense that he has to play really good defense and really good offense, whereas a lot of the guys – you have to do good on one end, but you have to do really good on the other. KD really needs to do really good on offense and defense, and I think that'll be one of the biggest things to watch. And obviously, Severe Wheeler, you just need – I mean, you got uh, – he, he's going to get his assist. He's a great facilitator. He's going to get his assist. You just have to neutralize his offensive potential. And so I think that it's – you know, you look at it, and it's, it's, it's going to be a tough game. You know, it's going to be a tough game like all Auburn-Kentucky games have been in the past, but it, it's not going to be – easy and I think that if you look at how we match up it's kind of our best on their best for the most part you know except for Jabari Jabari's kind of the the outlier that we have but for the most part it's okay their center is a big time player for them our center is a big time player for us they're going to battle it out we're going to see who's better you know their their guards really good our guards really good they're going to battle it out we're going to see who does their specialty best and I think there are just a lot of games within the game on this one 
So uh, I really think it's going to be an interesting one. And I really, really couldn't tell you who wins this one, to be totally honest. I, uh, I think that with Alabama, I was a little weary because of our record in Coleman, whereas Kentucky, I, I'm, I'm just weary of how good they are. Now, if we can get the win, it would be huge, but I, I really don't feel comfortable making a prediction about who will win. But we either kind of, you know, obviously it might change throughout the season, but if you had, you know, gun to your head right now, you got to make a prediction on who's going to win. Who are you picking on Saturday? I'm going to give Auburn a slight edge. And let me tell you, we talked on the podcast about they were going to go after Walker Kessler early in the game. They were at home. I think Auburn tries to do the exact same thing where early in the game, if Kentucky's not on fire on offense and you can afford – a couple of risky possessions. I think you attack Ty Ty Washington with KD because KD's I mean, the best thing about KD is not his ability to finish or make free throws. His ability to get the other team in foul trouble because he just runs with reckless abandon and just is able to throw the ball up without it getting hit is his specialty. I think you try and target Deshibway and get him in foul trouble, even if KD's missing his free throws. If you're able, if you're playing solid defense, the crowd's into it. I think you try and go after him at the beginning of each half. I think if you're able to neutralize how much he's on the floor, and that hasn't happened yet this season, there hasn't been a game that they've played in where he's been in serious foul trouble and has not been able to be. Because even if you get him two fouls. He's not going to be able to go after rebounds the way he normally does. He's not going to be able to go after shots the way he normally does. That totally neutralizes that being massive and allows Walker a little bit more freedom of movement to play his game. So I think that's the thing to look for. Apart from you know the obvious things of how is each team shooting the three, I think if you're going to watch one game within the game, you watch how Auburn attacks Deshibwe. See if we can maybe hit him on some backdoor things to see how he reacts. You know, is he going to be conservative with it? Is he going to try and go and get that block on KD? Is he going to try and go get that block on Wendell? Or is he going to kind of stay home and prevent that lob? Because that's the po- I think that's the play Auburn goes to at first this game. In the past, we've been doing, you know, reserving that for when things aren't going well. I think you start off with that and you make Deshibway make some decisions. And you kind of rattle their confidence because just like we said, it's going to be tough to go win on the road. It's going to be tough for Kentucky to come in. I know that they're used to playing in front of raucous environments, but it's like the reason it's so difficult in basketball is like the calls are different. You can't hear the offense. Like it actually changes the game. It's not just like a thing that you get used to. Like you can't get used to not hearing your coach call the offense out. You Mm -hmm. can't get used to getting bad calls against you because you're on the road. And, you know, there are a lot of people that say, well, Auburn never gets calls. And that's just not true. When Auburn's at home, we get better calls than when we're on the road. Every single team in the entire country gets that. It is like a proven fact that you get better calls when you are at home than when you're on the road, even if you're Kentucky. Because this isn't like an upset, a big-time upset like it used to be back in, you know, 2016 where Auburn's okay and they're the new kind of kid on the block and the refs are like, there's no way they can win this. Refs watch college basketball. They know what the rankings are. 
They know who's good and who's not. They're not going to think, oh, Auburn can't hang with this team. We're going to get some calls, I, I think. I think we're going to get some calls, and I think Bruce is going to try and get those calls early. Because if you neutralize Deshebwe, you can change your entire game plan to focus in on their guards. And if you're shutting down their guards, you're in a really good position to win this game. Now, the opposite is also true. You can't do what you did against Alabama because, like you said, Jay Will can't go in at the five. I mean, he can, but that's not what you want. You don't want it. Yeah. You don't want it. Dylan can go in. Dylan's been able – he was able to, you know, make a couple stops against Castleton, but he, re- he really was getting worked a little bit. I mean, Dylan is a good basketball player, but the reason that he's not starting over Walker is because Walker's better. And, I mean, he would say that, you know? I mean, he's, he's under no illusion that he's better than Walker. He thinks he's really good, and he is. He can potentially step up and do well, but he's not. You're, you're, you can't expect for your backup center to go in and shut down the best or second best big in the entire country. Like that's just not fair to him. That's not a realistic expectation. So, I think you look for the fouls. I think the fouls are critically important. And I hate to say. I hate that we're always talking about the fouls because that really puts the game in the referees' hands. But honestly, the way that I mean, the refer where the referees are calling stuff with the way college basketball is, it completely changes the game. I mean, going back to that game today, it went to double overtime, and Illinois doesn't have their All American the entire game. Other guys had to step up. You couldn't have seen that coming, you know. Like, they, they completely changed their game plan on the fly. And I I know that Coach Cal's a really good recruiter, but the knock on Cal has kind of been his X's and O's can tend to get a little bit shaky. So if you knock out their main guy, I really like Bruce's chances of at home with a lottery pick if Jabari's also not in foul trouble. So I feel – I'm like you. I mean, I'm not sitting here thinking Auburn's going to go win by 10 to 12, but – I think that it, I mean, I could see the game going either way. And as long as Auburn doesn't get blown out, I don't think that it's necessary for concern. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And also, you know, you look back, you know, you kind of what, what you were saying. Bruce said in his post game interview against Ole Miss, he was like, well, sometimes it's just that we have number 10 and you don't. And I think that's a big thing. You know, like obviously, Ty Ty Washington's a great player but he's not going up against Jabari. Like, if Ty Ty is going up against Jabari, I want Jabari to shoot it every time. He's seven inches taller than the guy. Like, you just can't really stop him at that point. So, I definitely think that having Jabari as your impact player is always a good thing to have. You can lean on him, and you can just be like, well, he's better than your guy. But also, you know, obviously, especially in the SEC, you look at – I mean, you look at Auburn, Kentucky – in the 2019-2020 season, we played Kentucky. They were ranked eighth in the country. We were 20th. We did not shoot well that game. We didn't shoot well from three that game. We really didn't shoot our free throws that well that game. But the issue was we shot like we shot like 44 free throws. Like, and yeah, our whole game plan was drive into the paint and try and get fouled. And a lot of the fouls were warranted, but some of them you're not getting on the road. And that was Kentucky's biggest problem was they're like, oh, the rest handed the game to Auburn. But it's like, when you play at home, you're going to get more calls. So if we can, like you said, if it's a close game and you can get some of those guys into foul trouble, and then your depth really becomes a factor. Because if Deshibwe is starting to get into foul trouble, and then all of a sudden he can't play, they're really playing 
I mean, they're six. playing their six guys they're comfortable with, and then they got to throw in the seventh guy. They really, ideally, you don't want him playing at all. And then you got Walker on a backup. It's just, it, it really helps Auburn's chances, especially if Tashibwe can get into foul trouble because he's just that anchor. And it really kind of limits the second chance. And it's harder to run an offense when you are, when you're used to getting second chance opportunities fairly regularly, and all of a sudden you don't get those, it gets you off your groove a little bit. So that's definitely another big thing to watch. And obviously this game, I mean, this is, I mean, this is a huge game. Kentucky is ranked 12th in the country, but I mean, I think that they were kind of similar to Auburn, a little bit shafted on the AP poll. Like they should have been a top 10 team. The way they're playing right now, they're a top 10 team. So it's just, it is a huge game through and through, and it's just really exciting to see what this team can do against the best of the best. And Kentucky is the best of the best this year. So I'm really excited to see how Auburn can, uh, can just react to that challenge, especially at home. I think it gives us a good chance. But really quick, we're just going to kind of shift our um, shift kind of our focus to football just real quick. You know, we've had a bit of a uh, – Bit of an eventful week since uh, I'm trying to see since the last time it was last Sunday. Obviously, Nick Brahms and Austin Troxel, obviously two starting offensive linemen, both announced that they will come back. Uh, Edge Romello Height entered his name into the transfer portal. Kayla Newton, obviously the younger brother of Auburn legend Cam Newton, entered his name to the transfer portal. Lee Hunter, Auburn defensive tackle, entered his name to the transfer portal. A lot of rumors circulating that J.J. Pegues is also going to enter his name into the transfer portal. And then, obviously, Auburn landing, D.J. James, from the transfer portal from Oregon. Got a couple names, you know, uh, Robbie Ashford, a couple other guys that Auburn is trying to bring in, a couple more offensive linemen. But, Wheeler, what are your thoughts about this week in football and just kind of how the transfer portal is affecting Auburn, both helping and hindering Auburn, and is there cause for concern in your eyes? I absolutely do not think there is cause for concern in the transfer portal with guys leaving. I think at a lot of the positions where guys have left, we've upgraded. Um, and that's what you want from the transfer portal. Because it's not how many guys leave, it's how many guys leave that aren't replaced with equal or better talent. And so far, I don't think that there's been a lot of guys that have left that you know, were elite talents. Uh, JJ is a fan favorite. At the end of the day, was he very productive? Not really. Was he a below-average defensive lineman? Yes, he was. Um, and, and that seems to be everybody so far. That's le- Like, we haven't had that major guy that you were like, dang, he was super productive. I wonder why he's leaving. It's all guys that were mildly productive and realized that with the guys that have come in from the transfer portal, they're going to continue to be mildly productive on this roster. And they don't think that that's best for their NFL career. And that's fair, you know? I mean, that the goal of a lot of these guys is to make the NFL. Uh, JJ's defensive line coach is gone. We haven't hired another defensive line coach. He might have just been hitting the panic button, kind of looking at the handwriting on the wall that, yeah, even though he's athletic for an H-back, he's not the most athletic for a defensive tackle. So, no, I'm not concerned. I'm really excited about DJ James. I'm not saying that he is as good as Roger McCreary, but I am saying that he was a good enough corner at Oregon that the number of times he was targeted was significantly lower than most DBs that start in the Power Five. And when people are not targeting you very much, that means you're really good. 
Because it doesn't matter what ESPN says or even what, you know, 24-7 star ranking is. The fact of the matter is when the guy was out on the football field, teams avoided him. And that's what you want. He's going to be avoided when he – I mean, he may not be avoided at first when he comes, but he's steadily improved every single year of his college career. He had nice stats this year, very low number of targets. I think he can step up and be similar to how Roger was, not this year, but the year before. I think he can be a solid guy who could potentially go in the mid-rounds, you know, third or fourth round in the NFL draft. And that's not a bad thing to have. I mean, having a guy, I mean, obviously he's going to be a prob- most likely a step down from Roger this year. But what team goes from a first-round NFL DB to just another one that's not Georgia or Alabama? Like, there's only 32 picks. So he was one of the 32 best football players in college football. It's hard to just go get another top 32 player in college football. So, no, super excited about him coming in. Um, Also, on the kind of later signing day, I'm starting to really get high hopes that Trevante Citizen is Auburn. And I was not feeling that way at the early signing period. And I feel like that's rare for Auburn. I feel like a lot of the guys that we were in on kind of, you know, stepped away. Caden's story, we all knew that that was going to happen with him decommitting. I mean, that was – I think that that might be one of the worst publicly said recruiting excuses I've ever heard in my life, that he was not going to commit or he wasn't going to sign because signing day snuck up on him and his family and they didn't have time to plan a signing day party. Seriously, why don't you just say it? He doesn't want to go to Auburn anymore. Nobody's going to blame you for that. That's the business of college football. But that story, now you just look weak. I mean, and not very smart either. He decommitted from Auburn. And, I mean, kind of feel sorry for him. It didn't really cause that much of a splash because everybody knew that that was happening. His recruitment, I feel like, he, he gives me strong transfer portal vibes. My, here's my prediction, that Caden's story will be in the transfer portal sometime in the next two years from his current destination. Now, that may not be a super hot take because a lot of people enter the portal, but there are just some guys that give you Justin Powell vibes, you know, who are just, they're not content. They're so much about the graphic. They love a good graphic that they're coming back or that they're waiting to sign. I mean, yeah, you can just tell. Some some people's graphics tell you a lot. Caden's one of those people. I, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. But no, I think that Harson's winning in the uh, winning in the portal, and uh, Noble, I'm intrigued. I have a question for you here. Right now, Auburn's offensive line coach Will Frund is getting absolutely smoked on social media by Auburn people for not being a good coach or recruiter. Why do you think people hate on Will Friend so bad? And do you agree with the hate, or do you think that it's unwarranted? I think that the hate is a very – I don't think the hate is necessarily warranted, but I do think Will Friend was brought in. He is, his specialty is recruiting. Some of the offensive linemen, you know, numbers-wise, that he brought in at Tennessee, great players, brought in some great classes. And – his kind of his, his X's and O's in development weren't exactly the thing that people talked about the most. It was his recruiting thing. And that's why we hired him. And on one hand, while, yeah, his recruiting wasn't necessarily great, 
if you look at his portal recruiting, it's it's kind of hard to bring guys in when your whole offensive line pretty much says that they're coming back. I mean, like, if you have Nick Brahms, who started for three straight seasons, is coming back to start a fourth, okay, he's probably going to start. Austin Troxel, your left tackle that started, he's going to come back. Brandon Council's going to come back. Like, Keandre Jones has started freshman, sophomore year. He's going to – it's like you look at the guys, and it's a lot of Alec these guys Jackson. that are transferring. Yeah, Alec Jackson announced today, like, you look at the guys that are coming in, you're just like, dude, if I'm – and you got to put it in your perspective. If you are – you know, look at Hunter Norzad from, from Cornell. He's a guy who we could very well land. But the thing is, you look at him and you're like, okay, you're coming from Cornell. And at that point, you really only have one chance. You pick the big school, you play, and you can get to the NFL. You look at Jack Driscoll. Worked out for him. He came from UMass, comes to Auburn. as a starter in the NFL. But the thing is, if he – commits to Auburn and all of a sudden are starting – I'm trying to th- – I can't even remember who it was. But if – let's say if a guy like I'm, – I'm not going to say a name, but let's say just the starter comes back and the starter already has the knowledge of the system, the knowledge of the offense, the knowledge of what the coach wants to do, they're already going to have a step up. And if the talent is similar, then the guy that knows the most about the offense is probably going to get the nod. And then all of a sudden, you're done. Like – because you can't, you can't transfer again, and you don't have the tape beaten up on guys from Harvard and Princeton. Like People aren't excited about that in the NFL. So it's a tough thing to bring in a guy, especially how offensive line portal recruiting works out. A lot of the time it's guys upgrade schools or downgrade schools. It's usually not as much going from similar competition. It's tough to recruit guys when you can't really guarantee them a starting job. And you can't say, yeah, I've watched our left tackle every day in practice and you're better than him. Like, you can't guarantee that they're going to come in as a starter and other SEC schools can. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the other SEC school because it's you're playing the same competition. You get the same exposure from scouts that you would get at Auburn or Ole Miss or Florida, whatever, but you don't really have to fight for the starting position as much. So I think that Will Friend has had a – he's been dealt a tough deck and I think that the rational thing to do, you give him another year and you see how he recruits out of high school. Obviously, he's already brought in a four-star, Braden Joyner from Auburn High School. You see how his high school recruiting is and you see how his transfer portal recruiting is next cycle. And if it still sucks and the offensive line sucks, then you're like, okay, you move on. But if you start landing four stars on the offensive line, I, I don't think that you just cut them in a situation like this when it's extremely difficult to recruit, especially transfer portal offensive linemen. And you look at his class of 2022, and it's just like, well, he came in late on the cycle because he was hired at Auburn a year after all the other offensive line coaches have been recruiting guys. So I, I think that his that the amount of hate he's gotten has been unwarranted, but I do think that it is a name to watch to see how he does in this recruiting cycle that is coming up after the 2022. Yeah, I agree with that. Complete. I mean, all the people that get so mad and say Will Friend just isn't getting it done, it's just like you said, why would a portal guy come here? Like, I don't care how good of a recruiter you are. You're not going to be able to tell somebody coming from the transfer portal who has one shot at making it to the NFL, hey, come and compete for the job. No, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go to Ole Miss where they don't have an offensive lineman. And the offensive lineman that they do have is some dude from 2A football in Mississippi and is 30 pounds undersized. I'm going to win that job, not 
oh, let me see if I can beat out this four-year SEC starter. Granted, he didn't do great, isn't it? I mean, none of them have been exceptional talents at the SEC. They're not the worst offensive line in the SEC, though. They are a middle-of-the-pack SEC offensive line that has had no passing game to give them any kind of relief at all. The pass blocking has not been bad. That's the thing. Everyone hates on the running blocking, but there's eight guys in the box. And also, though, when you look at it, you've got a new quarterback coming in, and Zach Calzada, who is expected to be the starter as of right now, he's coming in. You don't want to just go through spring switching out offensive linemen every rep because then he's not getting to gel with the offensive line. So in all likelihood in spring, the guy's going to have to dominate against the backups before he even gets a chance to come in with the starters. I. I don't know. I, I'm, I was higher on the portal when I thought we were going to get a couple of more impact offensive players. The defensive portal effort has been spectacular. It has been elite. The running back situation is looking really good, as it tends to have been. The lack of an impact receiver or quarterback is highly concerning because the problem that we've had has been the passing game. I mean, I think the entire reason Auburn was not good this year was the passing game was horrible. The offensive line is good enough that if they had a normal number of people in the box, they could get blocks. If they could sometimes have a double team, like normal offensive lines do, they could move the the ball a little bit because – and, I mean, this is going to sound dumb because it's a bad team, but when they're playing these lower-level people and, you know, they have to respect our receivers even though they're not very good, the offensive line is dominant, like more so than they normally are against bad teams. You know, because they're good football players who have been dealt a terrible deck of cards from our offenses, and it's not been the play calls. It's been literally – why would you commit any defenders to Auburn's passing game in recent years? They can't take the top off your defense. Heck, they can't catch a 10-yard out route. Or if the guy happens to get open, odds are the ball's going flying over their head. I'm not super high on Calzada either. I, I don't think that without an elite receiver that can catch the ball, that he's going to be very – I mean, it's like we said – He's going to be a game manager to every now and again can take over a game. But if Schenker is the best guy he's throwing to, or Shedrick is the best guy that he's throwing to, I mean, I think more than anything, if Auburn, because I don't think we're getting an elite quarterback. Like Caleb Williams, first of all, is just a really weird situation. His whole situation is weird to me that he's just like ghosted everyone. I mean, I'm sure he's texting coaches, but, like, no news is leaking about the guy. School starting for everyone, and he doesn't seem too concerned. He's still just posting toe pics on Instagram. Like, it's kind of a weird vibe where it's like, okay, like, we know you're a big deal, but at some point you got to, like, go to practice, go to workouts. Really weird situation. Jackson Dart, he's going not here. The Oregon quarterback, if you Google his name, it's Robbie Ashford. Is that right? Yeah, you Google his name, 
Robbie Ashford stats. Go do it. It's going to be baseball stats because he didn't play a snap at Oregon. They just got our quarterback as a transfer, and the guy left. So, yeah, he hadn't beaten out Calzada. But, hey, maybe he can come to Auburn because I think he just wants to come to Auburn as a student. And I love it when people want to come to Auburn. That's a great thing, even if they never play. War Eagle, but not not moving the needle, you know? Um, there's There's not another quarterback out there, though, that's good right now. I mean, do you know of anybody that is coming in that's going to – I mean, Calzada, was, it, it's like we said in the last thing, he's fine. But without an elite receiver, he is he is not moving the needle. The thing is, you, you know what you're going to get with Calzada. A guy like, you know, JT Daniels entered the portal today. At the end of the day, you really don't know what you're getting from him. And he didn't beat out Stetson Bennett. And I know Stetson Bennett just won a national championship, but Stetson Bennett is a guy – he is the epitome of what a decent game manager can do. Like, he's got a top three offensive line in college football. He has good receivers. He has fantastic running backs, and he has the best defense in the country. Like, that, like you put Calzada on that team, he's winning a national championship too. So it's like, okay. But at the end of the day, you're like, dude, if you're that good, you're beating out Stetson Bennett. Like, at the end of the day, if you're a good – like, I don't think JT would – really generate more wins for Auburn than Calzada would if he comes. So, I, you know, as of right now, there aren't that many good big-time quarterbacks available in the portal. And JT has been notoriously known for being pretty soft. Yeah. I mean, coming back from his injury, even when he got bent. I mean, dude just seems, and this is from the outside, dude could be really tough. He could be a whole lot tougher than I am. I mean, most college football players are a lot tougher than I am. But compared to other college football players, people say he's pretty soft. Harson, not a guy that likes soft people as his quarterback. Calzada basically breaks every bone in his body and is out there crawling across the finish line against Auburn. I mean, whole body braced the whole. I mean, he's a Harson type guy. If you're going to have a game manager, at least have him be tough as nails and has the team's respect. Because that was always Kirby's thing. He was like, yeah, JT may be able to make more throws, but nobody on the team respects him. Well, that's a problem. You know, well, yeah, and, if nobody and, at Georgia respects you, nobody at Auburn's probably going to respect you either. And another thing, I, I, I was watching the national championship, and it was – I mean, Will Anderson just had a clear shot at Stetson Bennett, and he just plowed into him. Stetson Bennett gets right up, and he's looking to the sideline for the next play call. And I commented, I was like, bro. Like, and it happened against Auburn. It happens every time I watch. There are plays where Stetson Bennett gets absolutely level. And he's a smaller guy than most college football quarterbacks. And he always gets up. He's always fine. He's tough. And he, he, the team respects him because he's, he's not going to just lose you a game. And he's tough. And the thing is, same with Calzada. It's like, you know, when the guy is literally has a dislocated shoulder from when he tried to run over one of the hardest-hitting players in college football and he comes out and he's still playing, like, you, you, you're going to respect that. Whether you like the guy or not, even as a teammate, like, you're going to see he is – giving it all for the team and you respect that and i don't think you know obviously the biggest comparisons go to bonex just because he was the most recent starting quarterback but also jared stidham jared stidham didn't really strike you as a guy that had the unquestioned respect of the whole team calzada struck me when i was whenever i would watch texas a&m it struck me that the players respected the guy whether they think he's a great quarterback or not they respect him and that's what you really want 
from your leader and your starting quarterback. Yeah, so I think the thing to watch in the portal slash recruiting this week is if we can get somebody at receiver. And honestly, would I be surprised if we go th- – this situation reminds me of when Bruce first got to Auburn and there were players on the team who attitude-wise Bruce would never bring in now. But talent-wise, they were fine. Or like when Gus brought in Duke Williams. I would not be shocked if we brought in some crazy person at receiver who has unquestioned talent, but, you know, has a tendency to fight somebody or something else that could potentially get him kicked off the team after next year, but as a placeholder. Hopefully we get a great high-character guy, tough as nails, you know, does what the coaches say, all the all the right things. It's going to be tough to go get an elite talent like that to come play for Zach Calzada. And for that, you might have to look to your freshman class. And You know, we talked about Amari Kelly, Jay Fair, Camden Brown potentially. You know, you've got, you know, obviously you, you want to get transfer portal guys because we kind of saw what inexperienced receivers can bring. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold out. I wouldn't eliminate the chance that a true freshman receiver will start for Auburn this season. And who knows? He could, I mean, they could be world breakers and they could be like, wow, this guy is absolutely insane. Will it happen? I don't know. But if we don't have a transfer or a big time transfer, expect one of the receivers in the freshman class to step up. And also you got to think. Has to. And, and you also have to think like these coaches that they, they won't be surprised necessarily. You know, if Amari Kelly comes in here and it's just an absolute world beater, it's not just going to shock them. Like, they recruited him for a reason. They they have a decent idea of what he'll bring to the table, and I think they have a decent idea on if he can compete for a starting job. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens with the receiver play. But if we don't get a transfer, don't just resign to the fact that the receivers will be terrible because you could be surprised by a – very talented freshman receiver class coming in that we did not have last season. That's fair. And I hope that that happens. But at the end of the day, we'll just have to wait and see. But I think that kind of wraps up this week uh, on the Auburn Today podcast. We'll be back uh, ideally next Sunday. We'll be able to break down the Auburn-Kentucky game, the Auburn-Georgia game, be able to talk about more guys. You know, there are going to be more Auburn guys that enter the portal this week and guys that we'll bring in. So, We'll have a lot to talk about. Uh, Obviously, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to DM the page. Thank you for listening, and War Eagle. War Eagle.